Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and sitting across from me in an undisclosed location in Chicago, the Washington Post's Ben Goliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. It's only undisclosed because you didn't disclose it. We are in (laughs) CRC Studios, courtesy of two incredible Open Floor Globe members. Uh, They were regaling us with stories about their Christmases, which usually involve wearing Andrew Bogut jerseys that are, you know, game-worn, hanging down to their ankles. I immediately tried to join their family. They said no, but they (laughs) said as a backup plan, we could borrow one of their studios for a night. What do you think? Absolutely. Here we are. I wasn't sure whether we were allowed to disclose the studio. Uh, no, but they, they had us here so that we would disclose it. Yeah. I'm heard, I am I heard that Chance the Rapper is next door or whatever. Oh, yeah. Let's just name drop. I saw Jay-Z and Beyonce <laughs> down in Houston after game six. Maybe they'll be up here hanging out with us. All of them have an open invite to appear on the podcast. But, Ben, it's lottery night. That's why we're both in Chicago. There's Bro, a lot to get to. It's not just lottery night. It's a late night session, man. What time are we recording this? Like 4 a.m.? I feel like we're living the rock star life without any of the benefits. I love it. I love it. And we've gotten several complaints about not posting a podcast for the first two days after a wild second round finale with the Raptors. See, that drives me crazy. Andrew, I've done a podcast every single week, at least one podcast for, I think, more than two years straight, right? Yeah. It's coming, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Have a little faith. I didn't forget. (laughs) I I will do it. You know, we've we've done them from hotel rooms or hospital beds, everything. So don't worry. They're coming. Just patience, people. So should we jump right into it with the lottery? Because we do have a lot to get to tonight. Bring it on. Okay. I'm here at your mercy. Literally moments ago, we got this email from Carlos who says, Hi, guys. I take it that you guys didn't drop a podcast tonight because Ben was in Chicago for the lottery and Edward was in a cold Toronto hotel room holding his lucky rabbit's foot, hoping for the Wizards to have to choose between going over the tax to sign Zion to his rookie deal or (laughs) trading the pick. I just hope that Ben got to touch all the envelopes and ping pong balls to make sure they weren't frozen this time. So you were in the lottery room, the lottery lockdown room. Dude, it's scary how well he knows me because as soon as I got in the room, Andrew, I started snooping around. I went over to the machine. Immediately, two NBA lawyers kind of start flanking me. And they're like, hey, man, like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just poking around, asking some questions. I, so I got all the details from them. Then there was like the case with the balls and it actually had a seal on it. And the seal was like one of those orange straps. It actually, is it Off-White who does the straps with the with the shoes? Um, I'm not aware. I, Off-White is definitely like the coolest of the cool. Now I sound yeah. old as shit. But, <laughs> yeah, what else is new? I'm pretty sure it's Off-White. Anyway, it was a strap like an Off-White thing on the uh, ping pong balls. Of course, I like wanted them to open it so I could look. They're like, no, we're going to cut that off with scissors when it's time to do the real drawing. As far as I could tell, everything was on the up and up. It was a little suspicious that NBA Entertainment came up to me uh, towards the end and was like, hey, can you introduce yourself and just give a little testimonial about how everything was really fair here? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) sure. I mean, do I really have a choice? No, I'm kidding. I didn't see anything uh, improper. And frankly, when you look at the results, like New Orleans won, Memphis two. Uh, New York three, Lakers four, like the small markets won the day, right? Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, The one thing I will say is, did you see the Frank Isola tweet claiming to have an inside source inside the lottery lockdown room? Uh, I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's what I'm going to go with. So in the room, there's 12 writers. Uh There was, I think, uh, 15 teams total were represented, the 13 lottery teams plus Boston and Philadelphia. 
the Wizards had two representatives, uh, the, the son of one of the minority owners, and then there was various NBA PR people. So there was no more than 35 people in the room. So if they, so who was the mole? You were I'm, there. What I'm saying <laughs> is, if they tortured everybody, there it wouldn't be that big of an operation. Like, okay, you know. Well, okay. it wasn't me. I will say that for anyone who does not live on Twitter, this is what Isola said. He said. A person inside the lottery room was able to transmit the results to me. Wow. Just wow. I won't ruin it for the league and ESPN, but everyone has a price. (laughs) So, first of all, I read that. I read the double wow, and to me, that said Lakers jumped into the top four. I thought maybe the Lakers got the number one pick when I read this tweet. But the reason I bring it up is because... I then stood up and moved to the other side of the room because I was just looking for a better angle. And I happened to be standing next to three different people from NBA security okay. who were like freaking oh, out about boy. the Isola tree. Talking into walkie-talkies. They, they were like, listen, we patted everybody down unless they hid something in like the inseam of their blazer. Right. There's no way it got out. No, so this is definitely a lie. <laughs> here's what I went through, right? So they took my phone. Uh-huh. Um, they... They took my Apple Watch. They took all electronic devices. They wanted me, like you're saying, head to toe, um, light pat down. They made me uh, open my belt, sort of like just twist it to show there was nothing behind my belt. Um, Did they really? They did. Wow. Because, you know, the the metal in the belt gave a little beep beep with the the wanding. And I went in there with two pens and uh, like six pieces of paper. <laughs> that, that, that was all they let me Wait, in there with. Wait, so you were in there doing interviews. Did you have to do interviews the old-fashioned way and like take notes? Yeah, taking handwritten notes. That is incredible. Yeah, no, it was pretty... It was a weird experience, first of all. I thought the whole time I was going to be freaking out because I'm not awake without my phone for two straight hours ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, when was the last time you were awake without your phone for two hours? Not even on vacation, right? Yeah, it's usually kind of mandated by my wife or something. Um, yeah, I, I'm, well, I'm always happier. If I, if I should clarify. I, I don't it's know always if, a good thing. I don't know if I've been fully awake for two straight hours without my phone in a decade. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm yeah. just saying point blank. Yeah, that's, that's actually the fact. deeply sad. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but I, th- I, I was worried about the, you know, feeling the, you know, the the pain of not having it. Yeah, the it. FOMO. Right, but. In reality, there was just so much going on in that room. First of all, Alvin Gentry, everybody probably saw his reaction, but he's like jumped up out of his creep, uh, seat, was like, F, yeah. I mean, he was so juiced. And everybody else was just sitting there like, yeah, we're happy for you, Alvin. Because <laughs> like literally they had just lost, right? Uh-huh. And then he was just holding court afterwards for a good 10 minutes, giving us just gold with the with the interviews. And then just trying to get a sense of everybody's lucky charms, what their daily routine was. I mean, one executive was lighting candles in his hotel room for good luck. Another Solid. one spent the whole morning praying. Um, the wizard's uh, owner's son had a deer antler on a keychain that he had brought for good luck. Mm. So there was a wide range of uh, strategies here, but there could only be one winner. Yeah, um, well, that's a good segue. The only thing I would add is that I had a chance to be in that little lockdown room and I turned it down because generally it's more fun to be outside and mingle with everybody. I got to talk to a couple different prospects tonight. 
I got to see Zion take about 500 selfies in the span of 20 nice. minutes. Um, he got out of there pretty quick, though. Yeah, well, he, apparently, yes. Uh, but I would have done it had I known that you were going to be in the room. It would have oh. been fun to have both halves of the Open Bro, Floor podcast in there. It, you made the right decision for both of us, because we're going to be locked in this little studio for two hours together recording this <laughs> podcast, and you're saying another two hours in the lottery, lottery room. There's no yeah. way that wouldn't have worked. It's true. Preemptive apologies to Mark and Luke hanging out there with us. <laughs> um, but again... Again, open invite to Chance the Rapper if he wants to come join. Anyways, here we are. Um, Let's start with the Pelicans. Michael says, after watching the lottery and seeing what transpired, I will never ask for my Knicks to tank again. And I hate to be that guy, but Zion to New Orleans is literally replicating AD to New Orleans, replacing one disgruntled star with a conveniently timed top overall pick. I smell conspiracy. Oh, come on. Don't do this. No, I don't want to do it, man. I think Zion in New Orleans could be cool. I don't know how Zion himself feels. I think, I mean, he was sort of like shuffled out of there very quickly. And some people read that to to mean that he is unhappy. I, I think he Just was don't probably- don't say the wrong thing, right? Well, yeah, but I also think like Zion at this point, I mean, seriously, watching him beforehand, like he can't be in public without having like 200 people converge on him. And so I think he was probably getting rushed out of that room regardless, whatever happened. Um, but Zion in New Orleans, man, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, the Pelicans writers I was with afterwards were playing that Lauren Hill Zion song. There's oh, a big, boy. big win for those guys. I mean, they're about to have a lot of fun over the next few years. Well, yeah, so a couple of thoughts. First of all, I mean, Alvin Gentry was elated. We know what he's gone through this season. I mean, he made no uh, bones about what a difficult season it was. I yeah. mean, the Anthony Davis trade request sends everything sideways. They don't really fully He was tank. kind of the narrator as everything came crumbling down. Right. He was the sort of He's wearing coherent it all. voice being yeah. like, look, guys, this is an absolute nightmare. And yeah, it was, he was actually, he was refreshing after every Pelicans game. Yeah, he just wear it on his face, but it wasn't always refreshing. Sometimes it was just like, yo, I really feel sorry for you, man. Right. Like your but life I, looks horrible. But yeah, he wasn't- His candor was refreshing, yeah, right. let's say that. Yeah, he wasn't faking it like Anthony Davis. Oh, I don't know why I wore this T-shirt. Okay, Anthony. Uh, so I, he was just overjoyed. I mean, there was a real sense of like, look, this is the payoff for what's been a tough year uh-huh. uh, down there with the Pelicans. And I think also his mind immediately went to, could this help us keep Anthony Davis? And that could be See, a short-term that's... decision, but here's what happened. So as they were announcing the picks on the live show, right? Woj, uh, once Rachel Nichols says, hey, the Pelicans have moved up, Woj immediately says something about Anthony Davis trade talks. And you could just see on Gentry's face, he wasn't happy about that. He's like, come on, man, why are you doing me like this? Basically was like his reaction to what Woj had said. Yeah. Then a couple picks later, Woj doubles back and, and says, you know, David Griffin has been trying to sell uh, or could try to sell Anthony Davis on a superstar partnership um, with Zion Williamson. And Gentry goes, thank you. Like oh, basically boy. just like, here we go. Like, that's right. And everyone in the room laughed. But do we have to go through the Hold motions on, a on all this? <laughs> everyone in the room laughed, including Rob Palinka. Okay. <laughs> so, and then, uh, so that was just interesting to see that dynamic played out because here are two guys have basically gone like head to head on the opposite side of rumors for months, right? And they're in the same room sequestered from society, kind of laughing about twists of fate. And obviously Rob was in a good mood too, because the Lakers jumped up to number four. Yeah. So it wasn't like he could be too upset about it. And in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, well, I just got a pretty good uh, draft asset here to potentially throw into an Anthony Davis trade, right? So 
there was a lot going on from that standpoint, but they were just overjoyed. And I do think in their heart, their message has been since Griffin took over, we're going to try to sell Davis on staying. How realistic that is, I don't know, but they actually have something to offer him now. Before mm-hmm. they had nothing to offer him. If they don't jump him up in this lottery, they don't really have anything to offer him. And my only other thought on those two guys is I believe Zion's a lot cooler than Anthony Davis, right? Like, I don't think Anthony Davis truly Zion ever... is naturally cool. There's no question about it. And I think he's going to be... Anthony Davis is phenomenal and probably right. a better player, but not naturally cool. But didn't you always wonder why those Pelicans fans never really rallied around him? It's not like they sold out every single ticket for a year. A hundred percent. That's a like, great point. And I think that there's a, a charm and a charisma to Zion that Anthony Davis just doesn't naturally have. He's a little bit more of a reserved guy. We've talked about this before, how he no- has... Very few national endorsement deals. Like mm-hmm. there's no Air Anthony Davis sneaker and, and those kinds of things. I think Zion is going to capture that fan base, which is obviously a football-oriented fan base, in a way that Anthony Davis didn't. Well, and the thing about Zion, we've obviously dedicated plenty of time to him over the last few months. But what's special about him is that people who don't even like basketball care about him and will watch whatever he does which is what new orleans needs frankly i mean and not there are plenty of like hardcore hoop heads down there but like the vast majority of the fans in new orleans and to a greater extent like louisiana like just don't really care zion is going to make everybody care and if he has misgivings about going to new orleans i wouldn't worry too much about it because i think he's still going to be one of the five most bankable stars in the NBA from the second he sets foot on the floor. And um, and that will be true in New Orleans just as it would be true in Atlanta. I will still really wish he'd gone to the Hawks. Well, the thing but, is, like, from a Jersey perspective, though, like this is one of the worst landing spots for him because their jerseys, I don't like I, their jerseys. You know what? I was going to bring that up. I do hope that there's some sort of rebrand in oh, yeah. the Nike's on here. It. Nike's <laughs> on it right now. Let's as soon make as that they happen. Finally bring out the Air Giannis. They're going to get straight to work on the Pelicans jerseys because – if you go through the other ones, like you mentioned the Hawks, you wanted him to go there. Yeah. Like the old school throwback Hawks jerseys for Zion would be unreal. Yeah. Uh, and you can go down the list of some other he places He would have been land. a bigger star in New York, but I still don't think the Knicks were ever going to keep him. I know Woj reported that they did intend to keep him tonight, but Shams earlier in the day said that they were going to trade him, which has always been my suspicion. Um, I think the Knicks have eyes on Anthony Davis and the Anthony Davis part of this, like there's no way he's going to end up staying in new Orleans and he shouldn't. I mean, Zion is great, but Zion is 19 years old. Anthony Davis is in the prime of his career. I don't blame him for wanting out of there, regardless of the way he went about it this season. Well, let me ask you this. New York got the number three pick. If it's a number three pick and those first round picks from Dallas and whatever youngsters that uh, New York has on their roster, I don't know if you're talking yourself into Kevin Knox or whoever else it might be. Can't New York still put together a pretty good package? That is what is going to be fascinating, Ben, because it's going to come down to the Lakers and the Knicks. Celtics could get in the mix themselves, um, but Lakers and Knicks, is they're going to have re- two really good offers because essentially the Knicks have the third pick, Kevin Knox, who is not good, but is just young enough so that we can pretend he's going to be good. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr., who can be kind of a fun little throw into a deal. But the th- number three pick in those two Mavs picks, that's like real value and, and something that David Griffin can really like sell ownership on and really kind of be the cornerstone of a rebuilding project. Whether when you're talking about Zion and like, let's say, 
I don't want to pair Zion and R.J. Barrett together for the next 10 years, uh, but let's say Zion and Darius Garland, perhaps. I really like Darius Garland. Um, but if, you're, if your starting five is Drew, I don't know, whoever your two guard is, R.J. Barrett, Zion. Well, I would take a point guard and, and move Drew to the two because Drew at the two has been really solid over the years. Okay, um, so, you yeah. want, so you want Garland at three? I think so. I think so. And there are a lot of draft people who would probably disagree with me there. Okay, but... so if it's Drew, Garland, Zion, Kevin Knox, and then center to be named later. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. That's not bad. And yeah. two firsts from yeah. Dallas over right. the next couple of years. Um, and one of those drafts may have the high schoolers and the one and dones in them. I mean, like, that's real value. Now, other end of the spectrum, Lakers. Okay. Back in the mix, okay? I still maintain that the last thing in the world the Pelicans want to do is trade Anthony Davis to the Lakers and cave to Rich Paul's demands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for all the reasons that we have been talking about since December. And yet, number four pick and Brandon Ingram, because that's that's ultimately where all this is going. Like, the the, the bidding war has begun the Knicks are involved, the Celtics are involved, the Clippers may get involved, but the the fourth pick and Brandon Ingram is a hell of a way to start the next era in New Orleans. Okay, so a couple of thoughts. First of all, multiple executives in that room mm-hmm. brought up to me unprompted how they were excited that three of the top four picks went west instead of east, right? So this idea of the east versus west thing, I always kind of thought that was lip service, but people kept mentioning that like, oh, this is good for us that these picks go over here, right? That's thought number one. Can I tell you something? One response to those executives? Yeah. Uh, As a son of the Eastern Conference, I would say that if there were one year where three of the top four were going west, I would want it to be this year. So I think that... Some of this was based on what potential trades and things could shake out here too, right? And yep. the other thing is, okay, if you want to call it league sources or whatever, there was a lot of chest thumping about the Pelicans' ownership having a strong backbone and being rewarded for the strong backbone during the whole mm-hmm. trade fiasco. And by the way, they they were rewarded because right. now they are in a much, much better negotiating position. They don't have to take the Lakers' scraps, all of whom are solid players, like Alonzo's solid uh, Josh yeah. Hart's fine. To be clear, this was Kuzma's not their fine. strategy, right? They no. ba- they backdoored into this with what, like 6% chance of the number one pick? Yeah. But it has worked out really well, well for them. And at the time, even if we go back to that week in February, you and I were talking like, 
it's stupid to do anything before yeah. you know where how the lottery is going to shake I out. I mean, I, I like the idea of doing a trade before the deadline for them because I thought it was going to cost Dell his job, and it did cost Dell his job. Mm-hmm. But I did not factor the idea that they were going to win the lottery with 6% odds, and so I got to just own that one. I mean, this worked out way better. They have a much more uh, better negotiating position. Yeah. Um, but the chess well, thing- and look, you were a little biased because you wanted no. the, the Anthony Davis in LA, no. you know? It's it's better for Ben Golliver Industries no, to I, have him out there. It's better to not have a top 10 player sitting out- That's true. In the NBA. That's um, biased towards good basketball players playing basketball, as I've mentioned before. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be a top 100 player if you're sitting on the sidelines. But the, <laughs> the chess- So is that, is that a, a spoiler for this year's top 100? Yeah, I'm, is, I'm snubbing is Anthony Davis, Davis out entirely. Uh, well, I would see. respect it. Does he report to camp? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, the chess thumping was not only about ownership's backbone during the trade fiasco. Okay. It was about how they conducted themselves on the court in terms of not completely tanking. They won some games late in the season that people were upset about. Yeah. And, and there was a sense that, hey, okay, we did this thing the right way. But the other they bit of- They did do it. It was really cool. But the other bit of chess thumping was, by the way- the Lakers didn't get what they want. Mm-hmm. And so my thought is, when you're looking at this shaping up, if you've got New York's trade package getting better, you've got Boston who's still going to want to be in the mix, obviously. And there's this whole dynamic of, okay, East Coast versus West Coast, where are we going to have the good players? Do you want to trade Anthony Davis within your own conference or can you avoid it if at all possible? They can definitely avoid trading Anthony Davis within the Western Conference now to me, no matter what, mm-hmm. because they've got a bidding war between two Eastern Conference teams. So to me, it was just kind of fascinating to watch all that play out. And yet I still think their number one, their immediate instinct was Zion can help us pitch Anthony Davis yeah. on staying. And maybe that's just sort of where they have to be and how they have to think right now. I just, it it seems untenable to me. And as a basketball fan, I would like to see them break from that era and start fresh around Zion and David Griffin look is there room for two for two of them is well, there room for Davis and Zion clear it out for Zion that's kind of what I want and and people are kind of hemming and hawing about sending Anthony Davis or sorry sending Zion down there like our, our questioner here and that's reasonable except that like I think David Griffin is about to start a whole new era down there and do things in a much smarter way. He's already kind of replaced the medical staff. He brought in a, an old son's buddy from Phoenix and $800,000 renovation on their practice facility exactly, too. Exactly, which so they needed. They're, they're <laughs> They've trying. Been sharing Look, facilities with the Saints for the last 10 years. I mean, I'll be honest, I did like 10 draft lottery pods. There wasn't a single pod where I said, "Oh yeah, Zion should go to New Orleans." But it could be worse. Mm-hmm. And um and I can't wait to hear what he has to say about it, too, because uh, if you go in there and you take the mantle from Anthony Davis, it winds up being your franchise. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. But at the same time, like they've got some other pieces there. And New Orleans is a good place to be a cult hero, which is what Zion is going to be. If, uh, if, everything, if everything works out, yeah. he is going to be an NBA cult hero for the next 10 years. And so I'm into it. Um, well, let me let's play this game. I'm Zion. You're Zion's close advisor, whether that's an agent or a buddy from high school or a trusted uncle or whatever. And, you know, you're seeing how this broke with New Orleans one, Memphis two, New York three, L.A. four, knowing those four teams jumped up, but you landed with New Orleans compared to the other ones. What's your message? Is it an optimistic message? Are you... Trying to like sell me, hey, at least it's not Chicago. That's what I would be doing. I would be looking at the alternatives and saying, look, man, you could spend the next 15 years 
with Lowry Markinen and Zach Levine. Fighting for minutes in a complete mismatch of a front court. Yes, and sorry to Mark and Luke, our Bulls fans here. <laughs> uh, but, you, I mean, even worse, you could be with, like, the Phoenix Suns. Josh Jackson got arrested for running away from a, a Miami music festival. You know, I never saw that coming, Andrew. I mean, yes. It's, it's just most surprising development rough, of the offseason. Rough timeline for the Suns in general over the last five years. Uh, and Cleveland. Like, there are a number of places that would be less exciting than New Orleans. And so that would be my point of emphasis if I were an advisor. And again, I don't think New York was ever that realistic for Zion yeah. uh, because the odds were not great. And because even if wow. they got number one, that it was still a 50-50 shot, whether he actually kind of materialized on that roster. So your point about Griffin being there is a good one. Gentry's a good coach too. I mean, yep. there's a lot worse. I mean, Boylan. <laughs> exactly. He could be doing suicides with Jim Boylan for the next right 10 now. years. Like he could have had to report straight to the team for 2 a.m. Zion, I hear you're in Chicago. <laughs> Come out to the Berto Center. Yeah, we, we understand it's not customary for most number one picks to show up at the combine, but you're going to show up to Boylan's personal combine. <laughs> exactly. I will be measuring you with my own tape. Yeah. So... All right, so we'll see where we are on the Lakers front, but I do think that was a fascinating wrinkle tonight. So while that happened, uh, Palinka put his palms together when they got the number four uh, pick yep. and just prayed. Just said a silent prayer, looked straight up. <sighs> yeah. Oh, by the way, I buried the lead. So the tie, the tie story, it's yeah. just crazy, right? Tell so the tie story. Alvin Gentry is wearing a black and white striped tie. As soon as they win, he's like, this tie has won multiple lotteries. Come to find out, it was worn. The same tie was worn by Cavaliers executive uh, Jeff Cohen to the Kyrie Irving, to the uh, Anthony Bennett, and the Andrew Wiggins lotteries. So Mm. now that same tie has won four lotteries. And David Griffin, former Cavaliers executive, had acquired the tie from Jeff Cohen as a lucky totem and given it to Gentry Gentry wore it, and by the way, apparently... Did he pay for the tie? That's like a trade secret almost. uh, It didn't sound like there was money involved. Cohen was like trying not to give it to him, but apparently just... (laughs) Like the Cavs were in the lottery too. Apparently he just forked (laughs) it over. If I were a Cavs fan, I would be pissed off at Jeff Cohen or whoever that was. No, that's a great (laughs) point. Um, But uh, Griffin also guaranteed winning the lottery uh-huh. immediately after his introductory press conference in New Orleans. He had told Gentry multiple times this week, basically he was pulling the LeVar Ball thing, you know, like visualize your own success, like just think it into yeah. existence. Doing that, he had brought a 57-year-old wooden uh, angel as a totem and he brought a class ring. So, I mean, he pulled out every lucky charm stop that there was mm-hmm. and it worked. I'm happy for him, you know, and... uh Here's one other question from Adam. He says, lost in the crazy lottery mess is that Ja Morant will get to play with the Jaron, <laughs> forming <laughs> the official successor to the Gasol and Conley era in Memphis. Very excited to watch this duo. So I had a funny conversation with Jaron Sr. today. I said, hey, Jaron uh, Sr., thanks so much. <laughs> hey, Jaron Sr. <laughs> well, that's what he wants to be called. Does he? Yeah, he, he insists on being called Jaron. Well, he wants to be called Jaron. He wants everybody else to call him Jaron Jr. But okay. if there's, you know... If there's any confusion, call him Jaron Sr. And I was like, hey, we talked on the phone for like an hour and a half about your son for that story back in December. And he's like, wait, which one? <laughs> <laughs> so here I walked away thinking that I had this lasting connection with the Jackson clan and that I had become his son's like number one uh, hype man on the internet. 
Apparently, I didn't leave much of a... I don't blame NBA stars who don't remember us, NBA family members who don't remember <laughs> us. Markel Fultz's mom once uh, called out to me and you loved said... You her. What, uh, yeah, we had a connection. We got Ooh. along really well. Uh, but in general, my <laughs> my presumption anytime I have one of those interactions is that you have no idea who I am, even if we spend an hour together. Um, I, I granted I'm pretty generic, but still, yeah. like it, it was only on a phone call. It wasn't like face to face. That's a little bit different. Mm, and I'm tougher. sure they were getting a lot of media requests around that time. He did eventually pretend to put it together, <laughs> which I appreciate. Shout out to him. But Thanks for making the effort, Jaron Senior. <laughs> as to Adam's question, though, uh-huh. um, can I twist this a little bit? Hit me. Number one goes to New Orleans. Number two goes to Memphis. I mean, these are two guys I think that have really legit star potential. I mean, if it is Ja going number two, like that dude, he's got some charisma. Yep. Um, his game. I don't love Ja Morant's game. No, I understand that, but like his game has the. It's like that that De'Aaron Fox pop to it, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, in the right market, the right situation, you know, he's going to be getting a lot of attention. Is it actually a good thing for the NBA, like the Pelicans were claiming? that this is where these two stars are going, um, New Orleans and Memphis, given what we know about their attendance and TV ratings and all that. See, that's actually my prevailing take on the night, is that if I were rigging the lottery, I would have rigged it exactly the way it, it played out. Because I think Well, you would have given them to Hawks, first of all. Well, yeah. You would have given Zion to Trey that's Young. That's true. That's true. If it were up to me, we'd be watching Zion and, and Trey Young pick and rolls for the next 10 years. Yeah, I'll tell the you next this. Draymond and Steph. Zion's not running out of that room if he goes to the Hawks. Yeah. He's well, staying there and doing five interviews. Did you see there was like a, a video of him kind of like gently rubbing the Hawks logo? <laughs> no, was, I didn't see that. It was pretty wild. Um, no, it's true that that was kind of the ultimate dream scenario with Zion and Dallas being a, a secondary dream scenario. But um, if we're grounding things in reality, I think things worked out really, really well because we're not sending any of these guys to these like shit show organizations that have no business being rewarded. Bro, if it Namely was- Namely the Suns and Bulls, but, possibly the Cavs too. But if it was Knicks one, Lakers two, I mean, if the four teams that had jumped up and they had gone in that order- yeah, we, but would that I be think, good for the league or bad for the league? I think that we're already getting the the best of that scenario. We're going to have them in a bidding war mm. for Anthony Davis. And speaking of which, I don't feel bad for any Knicks fan. I saw a lot of performative <laughs> oh my self-loathing God. from we the Knicks again. fans. Oh. <laughs> like, and they were all ready to do it, okay? They knew what they were getting into tonight. Wait, point blank. Did they want to lose? I, maybe I think that there's a part of Knicks fan brains that is just like, yeah, like this is the the light. Like Knicks fans love talking about how much they hate the Knicks. Okay, right. it's easier than following them. I have zero sympathy for the fan base that is about to sign Kevin Durant. Will have a very good shot of trading for Anthony Davis. Will still have room left over to sign another star. The Knicks are going to be fine. If we were going off of karma, the Knicks deserve to have the fifth pick, in which case they would actually be a a lot more screwed because that has probably half the trade value of number three. And it's a weak draft. And like it just leaves you in a weird spot. The Knicks landing at three is fine. And so I'm not here for the kind of like sky is falling. Why does this always happen to the Knicks take? Like splitting the difference between one and five at three is totally fine. 
Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, it was funny. Alan Houston in the little drawing room had really no reaction. I'm sure in his mind he was thinking, great, I'm going to get blamed for this because we didn't get the number one pick, even though the odds were like 14%, right? Yeah. And I think this could wind up being actually better for Zion because you don't have to deal with the savior hype. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to have to go be Jesus, like Jesus Sh- Shuttlesworth. If you go to the Knicks, I mean, the Pelicans, like as we've seen with Anthony Davis, I mean, like Zion might be big enough where people actually like hire writers to go cover him. Like I yeah. could actually see that happening, but it's not going to be 75 media members like it is in New York or LA. And I think generally for guys who are 18, 19 years old, who are, you know, basically big kids like Zion is. Well, and again, though, it's better to soft launch. If LA lands at number one, he's getting traded to New Orleans anyway. Oh, I see. So I, I just think that it, it it all worked out fairly well. I'm really happy for the NBA tonight, uh, which guys sounds a little dramatic, but I think it it worked out for both the small markets, the deserving small markets, and then the big markets. There's still enough room for things to get a little wild over the next couple months. All I'm saying is you wanted to know winners and losers of the whole thing, and I think other than. Gentry and Griffin, the single biggest winner is Adam Silver because now he doesn't have to go to the owners meeting this summer and explain exactly. why the Knicks and Lakers got and the top two picks. the lottery reform worked. Like, That's that what I shit mean. was crazy tonight. Yeah. And I, I am looking forward to future years of crazy lotteries. The last two points I need to hit before we move on to the NBA playoffs. Um, number one, and you can feel free to electroshock me <laughs> for this. But is there any chance that the Pelicans will be dumb enough to really put all their eggs in the keep Anthony Davis basket and try to trade number one to the Washington Wizards for Bradley Beal? Uh, where's the exit to the studio? <laughs> Luke. You're, yo, Luke, Ben's about Luke, to go record with Luke. Chance. <laughs> Luke, I'm out. Oh, boy. I okay. would... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Where do you come the, up with the this Pelicans stuff? might okay. be seized by the league office if they try to do that, but right, that's not going to happen. Can I tell you? Can if, I? Would you, you entertain the possibility that they would be crazy enough to say, "All right, like Anthony Davis is going to take this two twenty? I think it's two hundred twenty million that they can offer him if we trade the pick for a star in his prime who can help them go contend right now." Who's the star? I mean, maybe Bradley Beal. I don't he's know. A, he's above average two guard. Zion, what come star? through DC. I What's, have a spare bedroom. What star? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I'm just saying. No, I, I thought you were trying to say Bradley Beal's a star. Yeah, I don't. I mean, look, I don't really think Bradley okay, Beal's a star. I you're backing for off. A you're backing down real quick. You swung big and then turned tail. Uh, look, you just said this so I could set up what happened to the Wizards, right? I did. That was the last point. Okay, so it comes down after the first three numbers, and they do ten seconds in between the second, third, and fourth drawing. Mm-hmm. So that's just enough time that you can kind of like rifle through your packet of the number combinations to see who has a chance to win. Yep. And as I was going through, it became clear to me. The Wizards have multiple options here for this fourth number to come through, and they'll get the pick. I think Cleveland had one. Phoenix had one. Chicago had one. The Wizards, uh, I believe, had three. Oh, boy. (laughs) And that left five other possible combinations, and those were owned by New Orleans. So after the first three numbers had gone, your Washington Wizards had the second second best chance, and it dawned on me, I'm in this room, Andrew's not, and... 
this could be the greatest moment of his life and I will know about it like 30 minutes before he would. Yeah. Assuming nobody leaks to, to Frank Isola. <laughs> exactly. And I was getting, I was like mentally preparing for how I was going to have to do like a two hour long emergency podcast about how your life had just turned around for the better and that we could no longer make fun of the Wizards and it was just going to be fantastic. Yeah. And just like that, the 10 seconds were up and they announced New Orleans' number and it was done. <laughs> It's absolutely terrible. And then I had to process your pain. So now that you know how close you came, I mean, we're talking, there was 11 balls left in the hopper. You had three of the balls. So you you can throw out the original percentages. I mean, you had three out of 11, right? So that's just a little under 30%. That's how close you were to having Zion. And I had joked all year long, the Wizards have no chance at Zion, no chance at Zion. And also, that's how close you were. Let's be very honest and fair. Zion in DC would have been a depressing outcome for almost everyone who isn't a Wizards fan. And so for the league's sake, it's probably better that he's going to New Orleans. But, uh, yeah, when you hit me with that note, because you and I didn't see each other. So I, the first I heard of that was on Twitter. And um, no, I was that hiding was from you. I, I didn't want to break it to you in person. I was coming into the night with low expectations. It didn't even it, like my my emotions as a Wizards fan are are pretty dead at this point. And yet that still got me because I was really like. I just hadn't even considered that it was that realistic, uh, but that hurt. And then I started thinking, and I thought back to the Anthony Davis lottery when the Wizards also had the second best odds mm. at landing Anthony Davis, who would have been the best running mate imaginable with John Wall. For sure. They would have had six or seven fantastic years, and um, that's my life. So a lot of what ifs is where I'm at right now. <laughs> okay, so can we just kill the rest of your fandom enough so you stop floating these Bill Trey packages? Because I, re- I had it gets to ask. I had to ask. I told by you, the episode. you can just <laughs> feel free to get out a taser and end the podcast right here on the spot. Uh, thank you for indulging me. But with that, Ben, let's move on because we have a lot to review from the NBA playoffs. Um, But first, today's show is brought to us by Raycon. It's 2019 and everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on some random pair of wireless headphones, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon recently sent me a pair of wireless headphones and they have been awesome to work out with. They're great for traveling as well. I was using them on the plane earlier today. You guys should all check them out. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and they sound just as good. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, and J.R. Smith are already obsessed. That is an amazing collection of celebrity names. Squad goals. Oh, my God. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash floor. That's buyraycon.com slash floor to get 20% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash floor for 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash floor. If you want to roll with Snoop, J.R. Smith, 
Brandy, Cardi B, Andrew Sharp. Melissa Etheridge. Oh, how could I forget? <laughs> I didn't know how to pronounce her last name. Just get in the game with Raycon. Yeah, that's right. Um, and on that note, let's jump back into it. Andre says, the Rockets played well in game six. P.J. Tucker might be one of my favorite players to watch in the entire league. Harden got his. Paul showed up. But the Durantless Warriors all played like a group of P.J. Tuckers. Houston game plan to make Iggy beat them, and Iggy said, hold my beer. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green were dishing and splashing all night long. Steph Curry was pure fire. I don't know if the Warriors can win as many titles without Durant over the next couple of years, but don't you want to see them try after that performance in Game 6? I disagree with a few things in here. First of all, I didn't think the Rockets played that well in Game 6. They played okay. I thought Harden played well. His fourth quarter left uh, a decent amount to be desired. I thought Chris Paul played pretty well. Chris Paul was fantastic. Um, I think the key mistake there was D'Antoni taking Paul out midway through the fourth quarter. They lost sort of all cohesiveness on offense, and it just kind of spiraled from there. Mm -hmm. I think on last week's pod, I I said something to the effect of, Steph Curry hasn't hit his top gear yet, and Harden basically doesn't have another gear to go to. So if Steph reverts to basically sixth gear, Harden won't be able to keep up. Yeah. And that's basically how it played out, although Steph's top gear was even higher than I anticipated. Um, To have that turnaround from the first half to the second half from Steph was just ridiculous. And his shooting was off all series. The foul trouble was an issue all series. It popped up again in game six. Um, but I think it almost worked for him in a way because he clearly was the freshest person on the court for the fourth quarter. Um, and I mean, the, the right to left to right hop, you know, crossover, uh, step back three over PJ Tucker was absolutely ridiculous. One of the coolest shots I've seen. Um, and there was just a lot going on in that game. Um, to me though, I don't know why that means you want to chase Durant out. You know, to me, I think that they've been incredible with Durant. You know, during this postseason. We're going to talk about that in a second. I want to focus right now on what a legendary performance that was from the Warriors. That was all-time shit. And I don't know whether they're going to win the title. We could talk about that as well. They're going to win the title. Come well, on. no, no, no. I think that the Bucks are a better challenge for them than the Rockets were, or at least as good, and they're going to have to kind of come through and answer a lot of those questions in the finals if Milwaukee makes it uh, because that's going to be a really tough series as well and we don't know how healthy Durant is going to be and the, the Warriors are still pretty thin and we'll just see where we are in a couple weeks um, well, my, my quick counter to that is you saw how shook Houston was down the stretch of that uh, fourth quarter they've seen this Warriors team multiple times up close in person when they're rocking who's not during the playoffs Giannis and Tedekumbo. I look you can't outflank me on Giannis because you bailed on him during the second Bro, round I'm just saying there's a I've lo- been there with Giannis since day one right. since before he got drafted by the Bucks. wait was it Celtics in five or six it was Celtics in six I okay. believe but right. I'm not allowing any of I'm this just saying shit. there's a lot of shook ones on that Bucks roster when you're gonna see you know face to face with Steph Curry Clay Thompson you got five Hall of Famers on the court. There's going to be some guys who are going to be feeling it. And yeah. No, no, no. I, we, I'm not picking we saw the Bucks to beat the Warriors. I'm no. just saying I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself because, look, the last time we saw a performance that impressive was Game 6 against the Thunder yeah. three years ago. And I that agree. was like the, the level of mental toughness yeah. required to come through in those moments I'm just saying is that, off the charts. Right, and they were pushed like, decently hard by Houston throughout that series and even in Game 6, even though they didn't play that well, as I expect, uh, as I said earlier. But you have to be, you know, like 
prepared for that moment. And there's mm-hmm. no teams in the Eastern Conference who are prepared. There's one yeah, guy. Who, there's one guy who's prepared. That'd be Kawhi. But you look at his teammates; they're afraid to shoot in the second round. You're telling me they're going to be good to go in Oracle Arena in the finals in June? There's I'm no, just not going to jinx no anything because way. I loved that so much for the Warriors that okay. I, I do hope that they finish this off because that look, part's fair enough. That whole, I mean, that whole game, like literally, Iguodala. It will be lost to time because Steph was so good, and that's like the iconic performance of Steph's career and something that we're all going to talk about 25 years from now. But Iguodala was unbelievable. Like, well, it's kind of what I said after Game Six, where it was a team effort. I mean, Clay was Clay was the only person. Clay carried them who, in the first half. He was the only person on both teams in the first half who didn't look hungover. I mean, yep. everybody just looked exhausted from the series. He was the only guy who was playing well. Draymond came through with some major plays. Looney. I mean, even the Dude, bench the, guys. The Draymond pick and rolls down yeah. the stretch were basically unstoppable against the yep. team that knew that was all the Warriors could do. And like every single possession, they still ran it and it still worked. And that's a credit to Draymond. Yeah. It's a credit to Steph. And But they had also spent like the whole time preparing for the other stuff that Golden State has done. So I do think it kind of threw Houston's defense for a loop there a little bit because mm-hmm. they don't run as much Steph, uh, you know, Draymond 1-4 pick and roll when KD's out there. So it was a real strategic adjustment for Houston and they weren't ready to do it like in that moment, right? Yeah. They should have been more ready than they were. They should have played with much better energy and effort than they did. Um, you know, from the first qu- first quarter, and they looked disappointed in themselves. You know, after the game, I and mean, Chris Paul rushed out of the arena. Mike D'Antoni looked really crestfallen. Um, Harden was just kind of cryptic in his post game comments. But the fact is, they still had four Hall of Famers out there on the court, um, and they everybody stepped up. I mean, yeah. it was a it was an impressive game six to me. It was a signature moment for this Warriors run, like you mentioned. But it really it was a signature moment for Steph. To me, that's the best post game. Or postseason game he's ever played. I can't think of well, a better one. He it was the best postseason game he's ever played. I do think we need to be very clear that like the idea that Steph is shaky in the playoffs, yeah. isn't the player he is in the regular season, blah, 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 is like total like high grade bullshit. <laughs> because, you said like, like two months ago you were starting to get into it. Yeah, well, that was because he cost Giannis the all star game MVP. <laughs> you know, that was a big moment for me personally. Um Look, but, he's he's less consistent. But when he gets to his highs, he's well, got higher highs than and anybody. Like you can go back to 2013, 2014. I think there were some false equivalencies drawn with Harden, which allied all the times that Steph has come through and won games that really matter. Like yeah. the 2015 Finals, he should have been Finals MVP. He had 37 in the in the final game. Like he's he was oh. unbelievable there. He's got three he's- rings, but I to me, you always have to keep proving it. That's how the NBA works, right? And so some of the criticism was overdone. Oh, he's his bum. He's always been a bum. Like I get that. Yeah, that's overdoing it. But doesn't mean he doesn't still have to prove it. If they lose this series without KD. His reputation's taken a hit. There's no question about mm-hmm. it. Like he did have a lot of stakes, and I know we got. Well, gotta... and that's why it was so cool to watch him come through. Because ultimately, yeah. this has always been about Steph. It has never been KD's team. And people who want to say that, not just you, a yeah. lot of people started saying it this year. And well, it's it just, has been for this postseason run before yeah, the injury. And, it was and to some degree, it's been to the Warriors' detriment because I think we've started to see them get back to what made them special and revolutionary all along. And it's been really cool to watch. And for Steph, a lot of the reason he's struggled is because he's been deferring for the best for the for the betterment of the team and um and so to watch him come through in that moment was just really really cool and it was a it was an all-time moment for an all-time player yeah what i'd say though is they lose that series if steph is as 
uneven as he was in the first five games, and we can't go back and run the simulation without KD being in there the whole time because yeah. obviously he's going to have more pick and rolls, more touches, and everything else. But if he's as uneven as he was early in that series, shooting the ball poorly, constantly in foul trouble, I'm not sure they win that series without KD. Yeah, and so that's that's well, why and that's I, why I, it was great when it yeah. when it mattered and when it was winning time and when the series hung in the balance. Steph showed up and he was the best player on the floor and yeah. probably the best player in the world and for the, the final. And I think games. for people like, who have been paying attention, that shouldn't have been a surprise. I mean, Steph's been better than Harden the whole way through, right? Yeah, his team was I better than Harden. Believe that their bench was better than Houston's bench at least in that last game. And so to me, I wasn't really surprised, but it was great to see it was validating. And in the first half when he wasn't doing it, I really think like I had mentioned some stakes and we got an email from Joseph saying, well, how was there any stakes for, for Curry? I mean, he's already yeah, won these things. Yeah, we're about to read that. We're going to have a, a separate discussion but, about Harden. But think because... about, no, but the thing about this with Steph, if he just completely craps a bed in game six and doesn't have that turnaround, they lose that game. People are coming for Steph. There's yeah. no question about it. And uh, so that's why I think that... But those people would have been wrong and generally full of shit. That's all. Well, that's my only point is that like yeah. Steph at this point is Teflon. He is a an era-defining superstar. Yeah. He has been the foundation of the most dominant yeah. team we have seen what, since the Jordan okay. Bulls. I would say... He, he, is, he does all the little things. He also yeah. has huge, iconic moments. And like... It just seems right. insane to me that people were sitting there truthering this dude's impact but halfway dude, through this series. That's what we do. Every, I mean, there's I know nobody's actually do. Teflon. LeBron's not Teflon. Yeah. Shouldn't LeBron be above criticism? He's been getting criticized left and right and mocked and, and memed and everything else and written off uh, after you know the first time he didn't make the, the finals in eight years. You know? I guess so. I mean, the only legitimate criticism LeBron has faced since winning the finals in 2016 is that he doesn't necessarily make his teammates better. Uh, which I think is a fair criticism. And with Steph, like he does make his teammates better. And I think you can make a pretty compelling argument that like, if it seems like his game has taken a step back, a lot of that is because he's doing what is best for the team. So that's, that's sort of where I stand right now. He went off again tonight. Had I, I don't know what he finished with, but he had 33 and he had eight threes uh, when, I, when I checked midway through the third quarter. Like the dude is just on another level and it's a lot of fun to watch so here are a couple other points here um john says as a celtics fan it's hard for me to say that ben was right about kyrie irving all along but man he was right all along however after watching game six of the rockets and warriors i could also say that andrew was totally right about the warriors they are 70 percent more fun to watch without kd of course kd is the best player in basketball but the extra ball movement and the anticipation that comes with watching that Warriors team figure out ways to get their shots is just amazing. And to that, the only thing I would add is that... Well, first of all, do you think that Katie is the best player in basketball? Because I think a lot of people who say the Warriors are more fun to watch would not see that point. Um, I think he is probably the best player in basketball. It depends on what, exactly what you're measuring. Yeah, um, probably he's jumping out of that sentence. Well, <laughs> well no, because you could also make a case for Giannis. You could also make a case for Kawhi. You could also make a case for Curry if you're talking strictly about impact and who's the most valuable player in the sport. Uh, however, I think the larger point that I have been trying to make all along in this little Durant back and forth is that there the game is better when there is drama um, baked into everything and that performance 
in game six would not have been possible if Durant had been on the floor. It would not have been nearly as momentous if the Warriors were entering that game with a stacked deck. And um, I think that's that's sort of the point that is really important in all this is like I was walking around all day Friday before game six thinking like I cannot wait to see those two teams play because it was dead even between them. It was oh, come on now. What? Golden State's got a better team still. Golden State had like three and a half guys. I mean, Iguodala played his ass off. Dude, the whole like, bench played great. Entering that game. They got better it bench play. Entering that game, it was pretty even. Given given oh, the, the lack for... of depth. Oh, come on. I think you're buying into the spin, man. I think Golden State still had more talent. Uh, it's easy to say that They now. had the best number one player who we knew was the best number Dude, one player. Dude, we sat there on the podcast last time talking about how the Rockets were probably favored. And yeah. most people agreed that the Rockets were favored. And Vegas agreed, but I thought they played disappointing basketball. But you, you can't tell me that those are even teams. Okay. Well, that's not... I mean, you can't tell me Steph is like this Teflon superstar who can't be criticized and then not give the weight of that It was a level playing team. field for the first time. It was a more level the, playing field. In the field. history of those two teams playing. This is a dumb point to argue. It clearly was. I don't think it was a level playing field. I would. I mean, we okay. still thought Golden State was going to win the series. They had the, the best number one player. I did because I believed in Steph. They had the best defensive player. I would take Clay Thompson in the playoffs over Chris Paul. My only point is those moments of high drama are possible when the teams are more equal, and the, and it it allows for those kind of all time performances. Okay, so how can the team be more entertaining to watch if? And, like stylistically, but yeah. also be worse. I mean, are, are I, I you arguing that, both those things? Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And, and okay. I mean, would you argue like if it's if Durant doesn't come back for the rest of the playoffs, like that Buck series could be a lot more interesting? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? No, with I that? think they're de- I think they're better and more entertaining with Durant. That's yeah. my point. Yeah, but you're, so we you're disagree with half of that statement. Yeah. Um, all right, and then moving on. Uh, just two points on Harden. First from Joseph, who says, I enjoyed your debate on the most recent pod, but I'm confused by how the stakes of Warriors Rockets could even be compared for Curry and Harden. Sure, Steph has had shaky moments in the playoffs at times, but he's won three titles. Compared to Harden, he has nothing to prove. I think that the end of that series was way more of a defining moment for Harden. And unfortunately, he continued to, to define it in the way he has in the past by failing to rise to the occasion and take the series when it was there for the taking. I don't think it matters that much that Harden's stats were pretty good in games five and six. It was a real failure to lose those two games. And then, Yeah, I mean, this is just moving the goalposts for Harden, and this is what kind of bugs me about it, because if he shoots poorly, then it's about his numbers. If he doesn't shoot poorly, then it's not about his numbers. It's only about the wins and losses. I mean, Harden, like I said, Golden State has the better team. They have the best player on the court. Um, they have more championship experience, which obviously shown through. Uh-huh. They have the better, you know, two man game. They have the best defensive player on the court. They have the better coach, the more proven coach. You go right down the list, and so if you're I saying, think you're conceding a lot of this that w- you would not have conceded last week, like that. No way. That series was kind of a toss up. I pick I picked Golden State the whole way to win the whole title. Okay. I, th- I said they were going to lose four games in the playoffs coming in the playoffs. Okay. I said Houston was going to be their biggest challenger and was going to push them to six games. That was out of a lot of respect to Harden. I've never said or ranked Harden above Steph Curry on any top 100 list. That's I've true. Ever done. That's true. We can go back to the tapes. I mean, Thaddeus says Harden no, checked so, back in. So real the- quick. So this is why the stakes to me, they're there for Harden for sure. Because if he gets through, if he beats four Hall of Famers, even without Durant, there's no asterisk there because 
they, uh, who's the fourth Hall of Famer? Iguodala. Okay. He'll, he'll definitely be a Hall of yeah, Famer. Yeah, yeah. So That's if he gets through technical that, point. <laughs> no, man, he's gonna get it. He's yeah. incredible. He was he's incredible, been incredible in that for game. this whole he was, run. He was awesome. In Bro, that that's game. the thing that kills me, man. Give this guy his credit. Finals MVP, Andre Iguodala. This guy is really, really good. I know. I think it's a little misleading to start to throw out the four Hall of Famers in that context. Um, Bro, I mean, they're that... playing Austin Rivers. Yep. <laughs> okay, against four guys who have championship experience and you know who lock down on defense and who are really, really good. So if he gets through them, yes, the stakes are huge because. It's an unprecedented upset that nobody would have seen coming, even if Durant's injured. If he doesn't, it's like, okay, well, what did you really expect? If you thought Houston was going to beat this series, I don't see that argument. I never picked them. And I even after Durant's injury, I didn't pick them. Mm. So what's the argument for Houston winning this series well, other than look, blind on the luck? last podcast, you said I will be disappointed in James Harden yeah. if they don't at least push it to seven. I am, so but there I, was an argument that like there I, was room for Houston no, to make some noise here. And I just said 15 minutes ago, I'm disappointed that Houston didn't come out and play better. But I don't okay. think Harden was the reason why they lost. He All could right. have been better late in the game, but he showed up. And it doesn't matter if he shoots 100% for people like Joseph. They're just never going to give him credit. Cool. Thaddeus says, Harden checked back in with about 10 minutes left, up four, and they ended up losing by five. He was even pretty good down the stretch, scoring basically half of their points. But in the end, he was minus 10 in a game they lost by five. And when the game was slipping away, he didn't do anything to take over. I texted a buddy when he got an offensive foul where he gave Draymond that forearm, which Draymond sold very well, that was totally unnecessary with about two minutes and 30 seconds left. Mark that foul on Harden down if they lose this. They were down 102-100 at that point. Capella had just destroyed Draymond at the rim to get possession back, and Harden had a mental lapse to shove a known pest trying to get in his head. By the way, Harden was pushing off of that arm all night. Um, would LeBron do that in that moment? Thaddeus asks. Giannis, Kawhi. Harden failed to lead his team past an insanely shallow squad Come after on. Katie's injury at Insanely home. shallow squad. Okay. Even C- you can't b- buy CP3 this. CP3 played great, and the others, as Shaq would call them, weren't quite how they'd been at times in that series, but they were solid. There's a reason Harden gets paid as much as all the others combined. He's supposed to carry his team at home in those spots. All Look, right. He carried them a lot. Here's what I'd say. They didn't lose the game in the fourth quarter. They lost the game in the first half when Steph oh, is on the on. bench. They should have been up 15 points. If they had played well, they would have been up by 15 points. Now, down the stretch. The game the was reason, right there for the taking down But the they stretch. should have been up big before that even happened. Like, they should have been in a much better position. If you're talking about no Kevin Durant and Steph Curry sitting on the bench for more than half of the first half, they yep. should have been up big. They're, that should not have been a tied game. Steph said it himself after the game. He's like, I like the odds. If we're tied at halftime and I didn't even play and I didn't even score— I like that opportunity. And to me, at halftime, it already felt like it was going to be a Warriors win because Houston hadn't taken advantage of its opportunity. Now, what Thaddeus is conveniently leaving out with the minus 10 down the stretch, guess what else was happening? Steph was scoring 22 fourth quarter points <laughs> and barely missing a shot. I think it he matters got that a player that a lot of people in Houston would claim doesn't get enough love as being the best player in basketball was just completely upstaged by a direct rival um, in the biggest moment of his career. And that was a, that was a rough loss for Harden. And here's where I will say my piece. You and I kind of disagree on on what happened in that game, but like Harden had a lot of mental lapses down the stretch. He turned the ball over three or four times. He missed a layup at the rim. He hit a, a three in garbage time after the game was already over, basically. And he just, you can look at his numbers and say, this guy had 35, he had a great game, and it's all narrative. I'm sorry, man, I watched it, 
and he just the game was right there for the taking and he wasn't playing his best basketball and um and he looked kind of out of it at times i mean some of the some of the turnovers were like really hard to explain and it wasn't it wasn't a classic like harden tr- like truly terrible performance but he could have been better than he was and i think the reason this matters is because at some point he may break through and really kind of clear some of this yeah. baggage mm-hmm. and that moment will be a lot cooler if we all acknowledge that he has had struggles in the past and so that's all i'm going to say i to me i thought that fourth quarter was kind of a continuation of that story where he just made some mistakes that seemed sort of out of character for him and um and the game in in both the fourth quarter of game 5 and game 6 was kind of up for grabs and that series was there to be taken and Harden didn't take it and all of that is part of the story with him and just like the people who claim that like Dirk Dirk's struggles in the playoffs were overstated like it's okay to say that the guy has struggled in some big moments and that at some point he may break through and it will be that much cooler when he finally kind of deals with all this stuff. But there were some mental lapses. But I think it's more accurate to say he had a very, very good series. He had a very, very good game six. If you're he only... did not have a very, very good game yes, six. He, he had an okay game six. He had a very, very good game six. There's just a push in basketball journalism sometimes to say it's just narrative. Look at the numbers. And well, I don't think the I, numbers I, tell a very accurate story. And and we can look at the numbers too. He was like 10 to 25, 58% from the line. There were just some weird little quirks from Harden in that game. Yeah, he was 11 for 25. But he, <laughs> Okay. No, I just I stand corrected. No, he's he's been an incredible player for five years. He's had to play against the Warriors in four of those years. The Warriors have had a better team with a better player this in all a, four of those yeah. years. They've had the best defense in the league, at least in the postseason, basically every single one of those years. He was excellent throughout this entire series. Um, if I were the a odds Harden and fan, given the defense— he he did not quote unquote choke. There was no way. If, I'm not saying he choked. I know, he but just some didn't pe- play that well. But some people would say that based on his previous things that okay, he's he's choked. Like everybody else is already saying, oh yeah, well the numbers don't matter at all because you know he didn't come through in the fourth quarter. The numbers are misleading. I mean, they're running everything through him. If he has 35, like good for you, but like it wasn't particularly efficient, and he was missing shots at the line and turning the ball over. So like yeah. It's fair to say it's not just narrative, but... For five straight years, he's been awesome. For multiple times in the postseason, he's had some issues. I don't think this was one of those issues. He's had to play the league's best defense in the postseason in four of those five years. He has to take all of their defensive attention. For four of the five years in the postseason, he's lost to a team that is better than him with a team that has a better player than him. That happened again this year. To try to take that and spin it of, oh, there's going to be this huge turnaround moment for him. I mean, I'm seeing very clear gradual progress in his postseason career that doesn't get acknowledged because it's just so easy to say, oh, this guy just falls short, he falls short, he falls short. I think that's kind of what you're saying with the Dirk comparison. I don't think the shortcomings and the criticism of, of Dirk accurately reflected like his uh, they, career's they did narrative at times. at times they were overstated. I just think that... So he is more efficient now. He carries them deeper. Um, he didn't get over the hump and the, uh, the opportunities were there, but the opportunities were only there because he played so well in this series. They're not in position to win this series or to even make it interesting without James Harden. I think that's the story that gets lost. And, um, you know, I think he's going to want to have those fourth quarters back, but at the same time, like 
you try going against <laughs> Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Andre Iguodala, and Clay Thompson when they've been through it hundreds of times. They've beaten but better teams. But if we teams. had had this conversation in December, a lot yeah. of people would have said James Harden is a better player than Steph Curry. James Harden is worlds Who? better than any of those guys. Who would say that? Uh I mean, a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know anybody who would have said that. I mean, they would have said James Harden has a James better Harden, MVP case. Yeah. They were not going to say he's better than Steph Curry. Anyone who would say that's crazy. Okay. All right. Well. I mean, that's, and I, I don't know who would actually say that because every time we do the top 100 list, Steph's always above Harden and it's never even close. I mean, we don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. You're not as good at just admitting when you do, when you're not wrong <laughs> or when you're wrong. Uh, What's what? What have I said that was wrong? I think I think your your points are well taken on Harden, but it's just um, he, should he be defined only if by I the were fourth a quarter fan, of Game Six? Given how well he played at points this year, I would be disappointed in the way he finished this series. Yeah, he wants the fourth quarter of Game Six back. Did he have a bad series? No. Was he their most important player? Well, yes. When the Did he make was it close? Up for grabs. Why, Anyways, was he the reason the series was up for grabs? Yeah, and okay. then he and so, then are, he kind of. Fell apart. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I don't think he fell apart. He didn't. It, it's overstated it to say he fell apart, but he was not playing his best basketball. No, so. and I agree with that. But I just think if you're only going to focus on the fourth quarter of the last game when Steph has an all-time performance and use that to judge Harden, well, it, that's unfair to Harden and everybody else on the court because Steph is better and everybody knows that. Okay. Well, today's show is brought to us by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts. Like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring is required with Untuck It. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Untuck It. When was the last time your dad went shopping? Update his closet with some of our modern, perfectly fitted shirts. Your mom will thank you later. You can find something for every style, from the VP dad that needs to look cool and put together in meetings all day in their luxe, wrinkle-free shirts, or the casual dad running errands on the weekend in a cool plaid button-down. Uh, what do you like most about Untuck It compared to other brands? Well, I'm glad you asked. I just like how clean and versatile and how many different looks they have from fancy to more casual and everything in between. Untuck It has you covered. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and bigger guys of all ages. Shirts with plenty of choices on color, material, and design. Their signature sale on the bottom reminds you that this shirt is best worn unfurled. Take your dad to try it on in person at one of Untuck It's 50 stores or go to untuckit.com to get started. They can even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the United States. You can save 20% on your first order by using uh, our promo code OPEN at checkout. Untuckit.com, promo code OPEN. Untuckit.com, promo code OPEN. All right, and let's get back into it with the home stretch here. Dave says, so Andrew, after all that talk about how great the Philly crowd was in game five, or no, game six, I only have one question for you. Were we loud enough for you in Toronto? And yes, I was in Toronto. That game was phenomenal. It was ugly as hell for like 90% of the game. Uh, but Kawhi's game winner nearly broke my brain. I I don't know. What did you think of all that? Did the bounces make his shot better or worse? 
You know, I heard people trying to say, oh, it's a top five buzzer beater all time. There's no way it's a top five buzzer beater all time. Really? Come on. Well, it's not top five all time because of the the context, like a second round buzzer beater. Talking to somebody who watched John Wall hit a three at the top of the key in the second round, like that fades and whatever happened to the Raptors, whatever happens to the Raptors against the Bucks may complicate our memory here. But- I would say the insanity of the shot itself is enhanced by the bounces. I mean, literally, like... I don't know. Jordan didn't even need one bounce, let alone four. Well, okay. But Kawhi, man, in that game, left it all on the floor and was just unbelievable. Um, And he, he... took 39 shots, but they needed him to take those shots. Like most of Toronto's offense in that game was just like Kawhi shoot. And if you miss, maybe we'll get the rebound and get a put back. And like, that's how we'll just run our offense. A lot of the Raptors didn't really want to shoot. And the game winner itself was just like, it was like out of a sports movie. I mean, that and that, that would be my kind of like counterpoint is like that game winner was so crazy. It seemed fake. I guess. Uh, I mean, it was it was exciting for them. No question about it. It was an awesome shot. He was right to take it. The defense on the play was actually really good. Simmons and Embiid really did job, a re- very yeah. nice job there. Um, I mean, the bounces, though, it's just like, I guess it adds to it a little bit. But to me, you know, having that be your the best moment in your franchise history is like, I guess. Um, I do w- worry that their dependence on Kawhi is really going to get put to the test here because Milwaukee has the best defense in the postseason coming in. Of the four remaining teams in the playoffs entering this round, Toronto has the lowest offensive efficiency of those four teams. Yeah. Uh, 41 points out of 92 from one guy is not the way you're going to beat the number one defense um, in the playoffs. You know what I wonder about? And it's also not the way you're going to keep up with Milwaukee's shooters. Uh, one thing we know about the Bucks, they always have five offensive options basically on the court at all times. Guys who have been empowered to shoot all season long and guys who are generally getting pretty good open looks uh, from Giannis. So to me, if I'm Toronto, uh, this series, this upcoming Eastern Conference Finals is going to hinge on Lowry, Gasol, and Siakam being willing shooters, excited shooters, and capable shooters. And those are guys. Those guys have been big time questions, including in that series. Uh, some of those guys made some pretty good, nice winning plays down the stretch, especially Lowry. A couple loose balls, he did, yeah. steals. Um, but I just was not impressed by either Toronto or Philadelphia throughout the entire series. And even though it was a dramatic ending, it's like you're watching, you know, however many twenty eight quarters, and it came down to the final couple seconds. But neither one of those teams jumped off the page to me mm. as being that impressive. Okay, so I mean ninety ninety two ninety. Counterpoint, counterpoint. In game seven. Here's what I would say on Philly's side. I think that they have some real structural issues. And Bede is, I mean, I think he was probably hurt uh, throughout these playoffs, but he wasn't where they needed him to be. And Simmons should not be playing point guard. We've been over that. And it would probably be better off in like a Draymond-ish type role. And they had zero bench. <laughs> I mean, like really, it was like kind of like a, a parody by the end of that series. And yet, the, if I were a Sixers fan, I would be pretty encouraged by the way they fought in that game. And I think if we're dinging the Raptors' offense, we may be underselling what the Sixers were bringing to the table on defense. And I think their ability to sort of 
cross match in transition screwed up the Raptors and took them out of rhythm a little bit. I mean, they still giving them five, six feet to shoot. The guys just aren't shooting the basketball. Yeah, well, that's part of it, but it was. I don't a- know. I mean, I came away from that series saying, you know what? This all talk about the four biggest threats to Golden State on the Eastern Conference was com- a complete joke. There's one threat to the Warriors in the Eastern Conference. That's Milwaukee. The other teams were varying degrees of unimpressive, and. You know, it was a great moment. I'm excited for the it Raptors fans. It was a fans. phenomenal moment. I mean, and it was it was nice karmic balance from the Vince Carter miss, and then like also that was out of out of control for Kawhi <laughs> to Kawhi to miss the free throw in 2013 and give up the biggest shot in Heat history to Ray Allen in the corner, and then come back and miss the free throw late in Game Seven to get the layup to the run out for Jimmy Butler, but then to atone for it by making the biggest shot in Raptors history was pretty crazy. And so the parallels on multiple levels were there, but. I don't know. I mean, I was okay. yeah. <laughs> I was I was really impressed. I I have to say. I mean, um, felt, and I was happy for that team yeah. because they've done everything right, basically that any team can get right for the last ten years, and they have not really seen it pay off with that kind of catharsis. Um, and so it was cool to watch those fans. The executives, like I was riding the elevator down with a group of front office people who were just like sweaty and incapable of forming sentences after that Kawhi shot went down. And it was just, I'm glad that they got to have that moment. My takeaway on the way out, I had to write a magazine piece that had to be relevant for like the following two weeks. And so I had to think a little bit bigger picture and I kind of felt like a jerk for thinking this way. But like, Kawhi is so integral to everything they want to do and want to be, and he really could leave. And like, I, people are like, I don't know whether that that shot convinces him to stay. I'm I'm not buying that. Um, I think it's still like a, a toss up this summer, and if anything, he's probably more likely to leave. And so, if you want to kind of look closer at that moment and wonder how much it means or whether it's really like changing anything for the future of that team then like that would be where I start but no he clearly enjoyed it but I just don't think like outdueling Jimmy Butler in that kind of a situation when Embiid's not playing well like you're mentioning when so many of the guys in this series were just either no shows or just inconsistent up and down that's not what I would judge Kawhi Leonard on. Kawhi Leonard's a better and more proven player than that. He's won a finals MVP. He's taken LeBron out of finals uh, appearances. So even though it was the first game-winning buzzer beater in Game Seven, like Kawhi is better than that, right? So yeah. if Kawhi can single-handedly carry the Raptors past the Bucks and to the finals, that will impress me. Knocking out Philly in seven games on a junk, you know, four bouncer doesn't really impress me. Okay, I I was blown away by Kawhi in this series. Uh, he was he was unreal. It's because you guys don't have too much talent east of the Mississippi. Oh, That's your problem. Oh, boy. We see there stuff, we go. We see it it all di- comes back to the elitism, you know? You finally get one Western Conference player out there, and you get all excited about it. You want to crown him. I mean, come on. He- he's, <laughs> he's just another guy in the Western Conference. And what's sad is he's probably going to the West this this summer. Uh, but he was phenomenal. Credit to him. Um, and three more questions here. Connor says, so does Anti Jokic... NBA Twitter have to write a written apology to Jokic Hive. What's the protocol when a large segment of NBA Twitter was proven so flagrantly wrong? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I thought Jokic had a better second round series than Kawhi did. Um, that's a ridiculous take, but it's late at night, so I'm just going to let you cook. No, it's um. <laughs> because people value, they overvalue wins and losses. And I get into that too. There's no question about it. Rings matter. Okay. Wins matter. Jokic was incredible start to finish. 
I think he shit. Can we get Chance the Rapper in here? We need to switch up these takes. No, Jokic was he was amazing. And I mean, how many of the games did you watch Denver play? Be uh, I was actually busy for about half of that series. <laughs> okay, so you missed well, half what? of the great performances. I'm a working reporter. <laughs> well, you missed half of his important, his incredible performances, and that might have you know changed your opinion on him versus Kawhi. Look, Kawhi was good. Yeah, Jokic was better. Okay, well. I think Connor's point is well taken because Jokic was awesome in a lot of these games over the last month. And I like I was thinking about it going back. I think what I found to be kind of crazy is all the people who are saying Jokic is a top 10 player. Jokic is this and that. And he's like elite, elite. And they were pointing to advanced numbers that supported that case and um and i just it rubbed me the wrong way when we talked about it i think like a year and a half ago and now like he pretty much is that guy and is pretty clearly a top 10 player and someone else asked us if you redrafted the 2014 draft would you take Embiid or Jokic? i think you take Jokic. health is a huge part of that but like Jokic is every bit as valuable as Embiid is um given some of the durability concerns with Embiid. So, Connor, I don't know what the protocol is either, but I think you probably do deserve some kind of written apology from the legions of people on basketball Twitter who called Nuggets fans insane over the past couple years. And um, it was cool to watch him come through. Some of the other Nuggets struggled in Game 7, but I I think this is still kind of a net win for everyone in Denver. Yeah, it was a it was an unfortunate ending for Murray because he had been great basically through six games. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Jokic was crazy good, man. Like his numbers were off the charts. Everything was off the charts. Um, I think when you look at the kinds of people he had to work with in terms of the youth, the inexperience, and how dependent upon his game those guys were, he made his teammates better than Kawhi made his teammates. I think that uh, Denver. Uh, they had a chance to win That's that a fair series, argument. but they still kind of uh, they still kind of overachieved to a certain degree, and it was all because Jokic basically played as well as he can play. Like if I'm grading guys on their own personal curve, I'm not sure if anybody got a better A plus than Jokic did in the entire postseason. Like if you wow. know, going back to like, okay, what are they capable of? Like this is you know, what are the how many years have they been in it before? What what are they going to be adjusting to and, and everything else down the line? KD. I mean, Katie has been a solid A to me, but it hasn't been surprising. He's been the best basketball player he's yeah. ever played, but it's been right to well, expectations. you're right. Jokic came in with questions and answered them he answered emphatically. Every single one of them. It was and cool. A game seven loss to you know the CJ McCollum's best postseason game ever shouldn't take away from what their series was. And so, I mean, you could say Kawhi Leonard's also an A plus. You could say Giannis has been an A plus so far. He had a few questions would, coming I in. I would agree with both of those things. Uh, but I would say Jokic in terms of like you know most resounding performance relative to expectations and his own like kind of career arc because he's also younger than some of these guys that we're talking about yep. you know Katie and and Kawhi uh I think he was the guy all right two more questions on the Portland side Ethan says does Portland have the best redemption storyline of the last 12 months not only because of the sweep from the Pelicans but because Kevin Durant called them fake contenders on CJ McCollum's podcast earlier that's probably my favorite Durant memory of the last 12 months is him just telling CJ to his face you guys don't have a shot uh but I think my favorite was him carrying Steph through the first 10 games in the playoffs okay good for you um so what do we think about the Blazers um, this is another one like the Raptors where, you know, the narratives are going to change pretty quick here, right? Like mm-hmm. the magic of Kawhi's game winner 
if they don't win the Eastern Conference Finals, it's going to fade. Like, yeah. There's no question about it. The magic of the Blazers' run, the first one they've made in 19 years. And the last time uh, they did it, I mean, a very young-looking Paul Allen and Bill Gates were side-by-side you know, at the games, just like having the time of their lives. I mean, in the year 2000, everybody's still worried about Y2K and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, that's how long it's been. So they're excited. And it's I a didn't great realize for them. it had been that long. They've it's, had some good teams that, uh, like over that span. Uh, they've had a lot of really tough years, though. I mean, the quote-unquote jailblazers years, Greg Oden, Brandon Roy. I mean, the list goes on. There's been a lot of heartbreak in the last two decades for Portland. So it's incredible. Um, but if you're saying outside perception about like the magic of their run, if they go down to Golden State in four or five games, people are just going to say they got the, the soft side of the bracket and they're going to move forward and they're just going to dismiss them and they're going to go back to that KD quote to CJ McCollum and be like, KD was right. It, the bracket just broke well for them. Well, KD was right. That's part of what was so great about it. It's just but completely honest. I, I think what he's saying is that... What is it? Radical transparency? I think that's a Silicon Valley thing. What, what he's saying, though, is like the, the redemption storyline is kind of like throwing that those words back in Katie's face. And what I'm saying is if Golden State wins in four or five games, Katie's going to be like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you think there was a I, moment where Katie's sitting I, well, around his house this weekend, like, regretting that he had said but that? But given the real limitations on Portland's roster, it's been cool to see them absolutely max out what was possible this year. And I, I think that's what we've seen. It's like, there were no illusions about the Blazers, like streaking their way to an NBA title, but they have gotten further than anyone would have guessed nine months ago. Yep. Granted, context matters in that. And um, I just th- think the th- context might outweigh some of that narrative storyline if they can't put up a good fight against Golden State. That's okay. my only point. Yeah. And I think for Damian Lillard, he has sealed himself as like a top three point guard. Like he definitely moved past Absolutely. Russell Westbrook. Like he's right there. So he's a big winner. CJ McCollum, same thing. Everything you've tried to say about Kyrie Irving for the last two years, you should have been saying about CJ McCollum. You want to talk about a guy who has a deep bag of being able to create his own shot, <laughs> hit from the mid range, uh, come he through in the thing. clutch, he and everything else thing. like that. Like, that's a better case study for a lot of your arguments about the value that Kyrie was supposed to bring to a, a postseason. And by the way, it's not a coincidence that CJ is kind of in that number two role in a similar role that. Kyrie was in yeah. uh, in Cleveland. I think that they're succeeding for similar reasons. Not like Dame is LeBron, but you know, taking on that you know number one burden is tough. And you can see Dame. There's been inconsistency in this postseason because if you have multiple defenders keying on you constantly, um, you know it will you know show cracks from night to night. So I don't know. I, I think that you know CJ stepping up in Game Seven was crazy. There's going to be lots of great memories to take away from this for Portland. I'm just worried that you know they're set up here to be cute storied a little bit. Like if they get knocked out in four or five, uh, Golden State handles them, kind of gives them that little brother treatment. And in the past, that's kind of how it's gone down. I think uh, Golden State beat them once in four, once in five games in the postseason. Um, I think there's going to be, I just fear there's going to be a backlash basically. Perhaps. And I think the same thing, by the way, would have been there for the Nuggets. It's been a cute ass story though. (laughs) Oh, for sure. It's been awesome. It's been a fun ride. I don't say that to take anything away from them because the Nuggets would have been subjected to the same thing. You know, if they go have this great game seven win over Portland, then get dropped in four by Golden State just because of matchup issues and Golden State worked them all during the regular season. So that was very likely to have happened. I think there would have been a lot of truth ring on the Nuggets side saying, okay, you know, everybody loves Jokic, but look what happens when he has to go against the Warriors. That's a great point. This may have worked out as well as the Nuggets could have hoped because they now don't have to be swept by the Warriors and can 
you head into next season with a lot of confidence, feeling great about what happened this postseason, and um, and don't have to be humbled by Steph and Draymond and Clay and everybody else. Um, all right, final question. Connor says, "Hey fellas, after all the incredible games this week, I have one simple question: Are the playoffs better without LeBron James? What do you think?" Uh, they're different. I, I don't know. I think that this is the most tempting time to make that argument. Uh, it's sort of like every, you know, once every season, the Eastern Conference has like a winning record over the West for like three days and everybody wants to say, hey, the East is not I better than the West. I am always the person ready to make that argument. Right. <laughs> well, coming off of a second round where there was four really interesting matchups. I know a lot of people ignored the Denver-Portland series, but that series was awesome. The other ones were pretty interesting too, at least hard fought. Uh, and rich with storylines. I think that's the most likely time to make this argument. But look, if the conference finals are either a dud or more one-sided than the second round, and the finals plays out like I kind of expected to with Golden State's experience and all of that pressure you know, mattering more than it seems at this specific moment, uh-huh. uh, we're going to come back around and be like, man, it would be nice to have LeBron or a LeBron-led team to add some drama to this mix. Um, that being said, the players have been way better than I expected. The ratings have actually been better than I feared in isolated yeah. situations. Um, but that shoe could also be dropping because we're looking at Milwaukee, Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals from a ratings perspective. And if Portland drops these first two kind of in back-to-back blowouts, you know, we're taping this after they lost game one by 22. It and also would have been really that's going to look different if Houston had won that Warriors series, and we were looking at like Houston, Milwaukee. That would have been a, a tough hit to the NBA ratings. Um, the thing that I would say is that you know you and I, I think two months ago, talked about what the playoffs were going to be like with LeBron. There was significant downside there, and. It hasn't been the worst case scenario, that's for sure. I'm not going to agree with Connor and say the playoffs are better without LeBron because throwing LeBron into the mix would only make this all that much crazier. But it's been really cool to see other stars come out of the woodwork, whether it's CJ McCollum having his moment with LeBron backing him up with some anti-analytics crusades uh, as it happened, and then having Kawhi show out in Toronto, having Steph have that all-time performance. Like, there's been a lot to love. Um, the Celtics collapse has been a, another story that we'll all cherish forever. And whatever Giannis can put together over this next couple weeks is going to be its own story as well. Um, we haven't talked enough about the Bucks as they're just like drilling teams. Uh, how do you think that series is going to play out? Um, I think Milwaukee's defense is going to have success against Toronto's offense. Like I mentioned earlier, I think they're going to win in six games. I think Giannis poses more problems for Toronto than Kawhi poses for Giannis. But, I mean, it is this, like, superstar Game of Thrones. I mean, Kawhi, Giannis, Dame, Steph, slash KD. I mean, that's... It's been awesome. It's been really solid. And the new blood has helped, too. I think the fan bases have responded to the new blood better than I feared. I thought there was going to be a lot of tuning out. And I did see it. I mean, for sure, during that Portland-Denver series... There was times I'm watching these games and it's like, the, it's just a tweet desert, you know? <laughs> and like, I fall, you know, I well, have... A- can I just clarify one thing? A lot of times I would be coming back from a game, like at one point we had to record a podcast and it's just, it's hard to catch every game because those games tended to coincide with others that I was covering. Um, but you're right that that series existed for about 20% of the audience that the rest of the second round got. And, uh, that's fine too. Cause the people who watched, like it was 
A++. Like, the four-overtime game was one of the crazier things we've seen all playoffs, too. Yeah, I mean, the other question that I had, LeBron-related in these playoffs, is actually watching some of these teams go. Like, how far would he have made it, like, if they were even in it, you know? Like, even if you throw him back in the Eastern Conference and you give him, like, this year's Cavs, let's Mm -hmm. say he had stayed, you know? Is he getting through Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto? I mean, I don't know which of those teams he's going to beat. So that would have actually probably been maybe more depressing if LeBron had been in it but then knocked out. So he's, I mean, he's kind of hiding, you know. Yeah. He gets to play like the uh, the emeritus, like the playoff emeritus right now. He seems to be enjoying that role. Yeah, he's just working behind the scenes, rigging the lottery on behalf of the Lakers. And yeah. next year he's going to be entering with Anthony Davis and free agent to be named later. And it'll be pretty fun to see how it all shakes out. So to answer Connor's question, I'm not sure they're better without LeBron, but they're much better than I feared they would be without yep. LeBron. And all the credit goes to the superstar guys for stepping up because every single one of those guys has like, has there been a, a superstar? And I would actually include Harden in this too. Was there a superstar that actually did not live up to expectations? No. And Kyrie no. is the biggest and name. And that's, well, yeah, actually, actually, yes, yes. Kyrie and Russell well, Westbrook. Kyrie, um, Russell Westbrook, and Joel Embiid, I would say are the three that, yeah, and though gritted. I still do, I think he fought hard, but you're right that he didn't live up to what we would want from yeah. him. But if he had an A minus series, they win that series. Yeah. That's true. I don't think he was healthy though. Um, yeah. But I, the the thing I like about it is like these are all guys that hardcore NBA fans have lionized for years, but many of them did not matter to people who don't really pay attention to this true. stuff. And it's been cool to see like the rest of the world catch on to how incredible Kawhi can be, how incredible Damian Lillard is, and. Um, Yep, it's a good league. It's a sport that decides its future based on ping pong balls and hit you with Pentagon-level security as you entered the lottery lockdown room and best sport on earth. And so with that, uh, let's come back later in the week. Shout out again to Mark and Luke for hanging with us throughout this podcast. Um, We are not nearly as cool as Chance the Rapper, But we held it down, and uh, Ben, on that note, I will see you later in the week. Thanks, guys, for all the emails. Remember, keep them coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts. You can find our page by searching for uh, Open Floor. That's two words. Once you get there, scroll down. It will say Rate and Review. Please tap five stars. It's just that easy. It really helps us spread the world in the very crowded basketball podcast universe. We're also on the world-famous radio.com slash Open Floor. And hey, guess what, guys? Instagram.com slash Ben.Golliver. Hop in on the lantern, which should be coming later this week Honestly, if I can remember to do it. A plus stories from you tonight. A plus tweets from you from the lottery lockdown room. Uh, you were killing it across all social media channels tonight. And um, yeah, Open Floor Globe, part of the basketball podcast universe. We will be back later in the week.